The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Women's Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericawomen.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management. Do you have aspirations to be a leader in your business or organization? Welcome to Leadership Stars with your host, Linda Patton. Each week, we feature true leaders recognized in their fields who provide insight and ideas in creating a strong team and how you can become an effective leader. Now, here is Linda Patton. Well, once again, let me welcome you personally to Leadership Stars, where real leaders in network distribution, entrepreneurship, and government who have boldly and unapologetically stepped into their leadership will be interviewed on their journey and will share their views on all the aspects of creating and leading powerful teams, even if right now that team is only one. I am your host, Linda Patton. I am an international speaker and recently an international best-selling author, as well as the creator of the book and program, The Art of Herding Cats, Leading Teams of Leaders. Now, herding cats comes from my journey of stepping out as a major in the military and a VP in corporate and owning my own leadership. And the program teaches you the 12 key steps of leadership. Through Herding Cats, I guide leaders to uncover core strengths, to inspire with shared vision, and to realize their true expertise. I've been successfully developing leaders for over 40 years in the military, in organizations, and for the last five years with Dare to Dream with Linda, independently as a coach, mentor, and guide. Today, we're going to answer these questions. How do you as a leader make amazing shifts in relationships from the superficial to the extraordinary? Is it possible to have lasting, deep relationships without getting too close? And how do you rewire your brain to think and feel differently about relationships? And to discuss this, I have a relationship expert. Dr. Gary Salyer has been working with individuals, couples, and now we're going to talk about teams uh, and their relationship and how to be safe, again, to relate. So let's welcome Dr. Salyer. Gary, how are you? I'm doing well, Linda. How are you doing? I am awesome um, on this beautiful day. Um, Gary... I know you have a really extensive background with relationships. Could you tell the audience just a little bit about your background and why relationships are so important to you? Yeah, I, I, my real expertise is neuroscience and attachment theory. Uh, attachment theory is the science of how people form uh, their relationships, and we've been studying that for 75 years. It's not random. There are, we can predict by the time a child is one what type of relationships they will tend to form in life barring any intervention. And that's really important. I've also been trained uh, with uh, the Gottmans and the science of couples. And so what I really do is I try to combine the heart and science in a way that allows people to shift without having to, you know, 
to completely overhaul their life. I want to change. So I work at helping people find uh, change that's easy, but also allows them to connect deeply. Gary, you said you said something very interesting about um, you can tell by year one what types of relationships a child is going to have. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, there's something called uh, attachment theory. And this, and we've known this really since the 50s. Um, you could, what do you, that's called, an, uh, there was an experiment done by, uh, by one of the four founders, a uh, woman by the name of Mary Ainsworth. And what she found out was she first worked with mothers in Africa and noticed that they held their, uh, their children for three years. And these children came out to be extremely well-balanced, loving, secure, without anxiousness uh, children. In the, uh, then when she came to America, there was the spot doctrine where children were allowed to be more distant, a rational distance. So she came up with this experiment where at one year, one to year and a half, she brought children into a room with scientists all looking into nicely, uh, cleverly disguised mirrors. Mm-hmm. And when the child was taken out, when the mother was taken out, they would notice the uh, reaction of the child. And uh, when the mother came in, there were three predictable ways these children tended, or ways they, uh, they responded. And from them, they found out by tracking these children for the next 30 years that those tendencies tracked the rest of their life. The first one was the secure baby who was upset, but hey, they were kind of expecting mom to come back. Mom always does. They calmed down. They went out and played with their toys, and they used mom as a secure base of exploration. The other group of babies looked precocious and well-balanced, and they just stayed and played with their toys. It was like mom never left. But what we found out later was that they they, they had grown up not expecting mom to be there, and later these became what were called avoidant babies. Mm. They were the people that were mostly comfortable with distance. They were not comfortable with closeness, not comfortable with commitment. So what looked like uh, maturity was actually, hey, I don't think you're here for me. Uh, And then there were the anxious babies. These babies would uh, fuss and cry and hit and complain and they were inconsolable and they would protest and they would barely be able to move out to play. Uh, they wanted mom, but they would also hit her and these became the anxious and they become more of the people that are always worried when love goes away. When did you, why didn't you text me last night? And these three things, these three styles are all set up by the time you're one years old. That's how early love gets wired in your brain. Wow, that's really impressive. So how does that translate into the the feeling of being safe in a relationship? Well, the the holy grail, that's what I'm writing about in my book, the holy Ooh. grail for anybody is to have a secure love style. And mm-hmm. uh, my definition of a secure love style in the scientific sense is they take no BS and they give no BS. The secure know that they have a right to feel welcomed put joy in a relationship. They know they have a right to feel worthy and nourished to have their okay. needs met. They have a worry. They have a uh, a right to feel uh, cherished and protected, and also empowered with choice. That's that's what's underneath a secure love style. Four feelings that tell you you are securely loved. You're welcomed. You're worthy. You're cherished and protected, and you're empowered. 
if you look at any of the other two love styles, they the avoidance were usually not welcomed with joy, uh, and they they usually can't give it. Um, the anxious were often not worthy of having their needs met, and they frequently don't have empowered with choice either. So when you have missing feelings about your 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 the way you are in relationships or what you expect from relationships, you tend to react in a way that doesn't commit, doesn't create a we only wants to do things by yourself or the other one that is more of a fight response where we say, I'm going to lock this down at all costs. And that fighting inevitably drives people away and the ancient often will create their own worst experience because people can't handle that sort of drama that doesn't feel safe. That's the sort of thing that's going on. So we want those serious, secure feelings so we have a calm relationship where people feel safe. Very interesting. So, Gary, do you find at all it has something to do with family dynamics? I, for example, do you see more of the um, by-myself uh, individual who was an only child? Um, or is, it, you know, is there a correlation between the number of children in the family as well as maybe birth order as to where you would fit in these three styles? Not necessarily. That what really determines it is the quality of the way your mother and father respond to your needs. Uh, at the basis of everybody's attachment is sort of a system that says, uh, it's called contingent communication. When mm-hmm. a baby cries, do you respond to them? When a, a young toddler is going around and just about ready to fall off that that uh, that chair or something, you go and make sure they are protected and then they feel cherished. As a teenager, when they, when they ask for an allowance, are you willing to work with them? How we respond to our needs, that's the big predictor. It's not so much family order or anything like that. You could have a, a, a firstborn child and an onlyborn child that is well responded to and they'll grow up feeling really secure. You could have an only child that is not, and they will, they will tend to be either anxious or avoid. So it's really the quality other response that determines it. So audience, you hear it um, starting with, you know, before age one, you actually form the type of relationships your children are going to have simply by how you respond to their needs. That's very, very critical. I think that's very important, um, Gary, for all of us. I know I was an only child. I had older adults who worked, were in and out, and I learned to play pretty much by myself. Um, so developing relationships has been a work in progress, needless to say, through my life. Uh, and I have, I have to say that being married for 43 years to a fabulous man has really helped me to understand what a relationship is all about and how to have a healthy um, couple relationship. So how does this singular singularity of style um, then match into couples' relationships? Well, the same thing is going on with couples. It's just higher-level game, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. The bottom line for couples is we call them bids. Bids for attention or bids for support. Hi, honey. Do you see that bird over there? Uh, oh, yeah. That is a nice bird. Now, or honey, where's the, is the salt around here? Oh, yes, it's right over there. Those are bids for attention. Uh, okay. And what we found out is 
there, uh, when the Dotmans tracked couples, they brought them into a, uh, uh, what was called a love lab, and it's like a bed and breakfast, except like any other bed and breakfast, you know, it had a bunch of scientists behind windows. Uh, mm-hmm. And when they observed couples, they noticed they would have what they called the, the masters of the disasters. The masters were the, what I call the secure. And these people responded to bids 89% of the time. 89%. Believe it or not, the people who were the disasters responded 66% of the time. What that tells you is that to have a, to feel really secure in a relationship, you have to be a partner and have a partner who really picks up on the cues and, the, uh, and responds at least in some measure. Two-thirds isn't enough. We will not feel securely bonded. We need about nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. And that's because at an old, old level, millions of years ago, 10, 20,000 years ago, and we're out in the, in, the, in the force, if someone isn't tracking us or they're only tracking us two-thirds of the time, somebody's going to die. So mm-hmm. it's a high level of the secure offer each other a lot of reciprocal bits, and they respond to them. That's one of the keys for couples is knowing how to turn toward them uh, with love and appreciation. Wow, that's that that's yeah, that's fascinating, Gary. Um, and uh, audience, I hope you hear this. That it, you know, we we talk long ago and far away about the fact that you have to put two hundred percent into the relationship in order to even think that a hundred percent might might come back to you. And so, Gary, in essence, you you validated that by saying um, paying attention to your spouse or, or to the other person in the relationship and being there to support them. And we, we all know from the book, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, that we oftentimes um, are very different in what we want in support and attention. And so can that also be a challenge for the couple? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> the goblins call that a uh, uh, love map. And basically... Any, where we learn a secure relationship early on, that little baby I told you about, right. is, well, what we found out is that, we, you know, we think that mothers are perfect at reading. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the myth, the child. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, though, that 70% of the time, the first response of a mother isn't right. But she's good at reading, at really picking up what's inside the mind of the baby. And she, there'll be a repair attempt and she will make an effort to get it right. And when she does, the baby says, oh, mom can get it wrong, but she gets it right. She gets me. That's what we have to offer our spouses. We have to step inside their mind. And if a baby isn't, if we don't step inside the mind and go, oh, you fell from your tricycle, you must be scared. And they go, yeah, that's what I'm feeling. You know, that mm-hmm. tells them their love. That tells them their worry. That tells them church. So we, we do have to step into the mind of each other to feel securely attached to bonded, or else you feel like, hey, they're not present. They don't get me. Where are they at? Oh, Gary, that's, that's so, so critical. Um, uh, I love when... I have clients who say to me, boy, you get me, you understand me. So I think it, it, it's not only important in love relationships, but it's also important in business relationships or client relationships or words along those lines. Now, I have one quick question for you before we, we 
dash off. Um, and that has to do with texting. Um, I ha- There was an interesting um, article on the news the other day that the suicide lines that have the texting capability have more teenagers text in than when they only have a telephone connection. So are we seeing a huge shift, and we just have a minute or so, a huge shift from that almost personal on-the-telephone communication to now wanting to distance ourselves into a more um, texting kind of thing and just a real quick answer, and we'll come back to it after the break. Actually, I, I I, I wrote a section in my book that a lot of electronic media, social media, and texting is creating more and more an avoidant culture. I took it out because I thought, oh, I got... And then I had so many couples that had fights, I put it back in. There is no doubt that texting is a trend, but it's not the greatest secure form because it's very difficult to pick up on somebody's physiology, their reactions, their, their emotions with a text. And we only feel secure when some, we feel that someone else feels into us, when we feel felt. And it's difficult to feel felt when someone's offering you a text. So I tell all my couples, never do any type of negotiation uh, with a text. It never goes good. People want to hear the resonance of love in your voice. They want to yeah. see it in your eyes. Great. Thank you, Gary, so very, very much. And so, ladies and gentlemen, when you see people in, in restaurants and they're on a date, and they're texting each other, call them on it. And with that note, um, we're going to take a quick break. See you in a minute. Voice America Women's Channel, a leader in the forward movement of women's success. Linda Patton draws from her four decades of leadership experience and her heartfelt passion to show women how to lead, dream, and create what inspires them. Her signature training programs and workshops will guide you through the key skills you need to own your leadership power, build your resources, plan your path, and take the actions that will translate your vision into reality. Start by scheduling a free, no-obligation, 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at daretodreamwithlinda.com. That's Linda at dare, the number two, dreamwithlinda.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America Women's Channel, a leader in the forward movement of women's success. You are listening to Leadership Stars with Linda Patton. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. You may also send an email to Linda at dare to dream with linda.com now back to leadership stars welcome back i'm on on with a very very special guest um dr gary sailor 
Uh, and Gary and I were having this real quick discussion while, while you all were um, listening in about um, texting and superficial relationships and this kind of thing. And you know, Gary, uh, I've been in network distribution off and on for um, probably the last 40 years. And one of the things that I've noticed in network distribution, and I think you noticed it in a slightly different context, is that once we enroll someone, um, our, the relationship tends to, quote, drop off. Um, if you do have uh, communication with them, it's often, you know, gee, I noticed that your auto ship didn't go through um, and your team has really low uh, group volume. What are you doing about this? Uh, and so what would you recommend for someone um, that would be different than that? Well, if I'm reading you right, uh, I, I actually have advised some entrepreneurs on this. Uh, I've had uh, several seven-figure coaches who've come to work with me on, mm-hmm. you know, love and relationships, and then they ask this question. And what happens in the launch model, you know, you send out an email, and it says, hey, you know, I have a good friend here. And then you pass the uh, who has this great program, and you pass it on, and people get there, and you get emails, and you might get a PDF or whatever. But what happens is, that's not, you've got a part of your brain that's 100 million years old, it's your mammal brain, and it's programmed to expect someone who really is close, they have some personal contact with. So we can't fool that part of our brain. So some part begins to say, you know, I know I signed up to this, but it doesn't feel quite right. Because Mm -hmm. that part that's always looking for a bond, there's a part of our brain that says, am I bonded? If I'm bonded, I'm safe. If we don't feel bonded, then it doesn't feel safe and then they don't feel motivated to attend the event or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I I just called that out to one group I'm involved with and and one really good friend of mine. And what they did is they found out that people weren't feeling connected when they signed them up to uh, an event, and then they would drop out. So they hired a staff person whose sole responsibility was to welcome them with joy, that first feeling of a secure relationship. And then they went a step further and said, until the meeting, if you give us, you know, the event, if you give us a meeting, we'll give you a little handout. We'll give you some free coaching for a half hour. So they were worthy of having their needs met. They doubled their attendance, and they made $300,000 extra at that event because they made their people feel welcomed and worthy with a personal contact. It's amazing how if you pay attention to our attachment system, Mm -hmm. how much better business works because love really is the operating system. It's not a program in the brain besides business and love. Love is the basic way, tells our brain, how to operate. And our attachment runs everything. Wow, that's so important, and and thank you. Um, that whole welcome, uh, I think, is very very important. And one of the things that that I taught, and uh, it's in the systems and procedures portion of, of the art of hurting cats, is that whole onboarding process. How do you bring people on board? How do you make them feel welcome? How do you make them feel worthy of having their needs met, and that kind of thing? So you're right, so that they bond, and you you have that same onboarding, that same building and bonding of the relationship so that everyone that you bring on has that same sense of being secure in the relationship and not that you're going to abandon them as soon as you get your first order bonus and you're on to the next person. I think that's really, really important 
Um, and I, I think you'd agree with that, Gary, yes? I do, I do. I mean, there's, it's obvious that to run a successful business, you have to have some leverage. Mm-hmm. I understand that because I'm running a business too. But you also have to have that lively conversation where they feel really connected. And that's really the trick for anybody who's running an entrepreneur or a business. You have leverage, but it tends mm-hmm. to weaken the bond. So you have to pay attention to the, the, the bonding meter between you and your people. When are they feeling supported, welcomed, and worthy? Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just an art. Yeah, you know, an email. Maybe you need to send out if an email is getting less response. Maybe you need to send out some personal videos to people mm. so they get more of a face contact with you. Well, that's a really <laughs> unique concept. Is is doing video now that it seems to be the number one way to communicate with your folks. Um, I I agree. I had um, a team that every week they got some kind of a, an email from their um, their senior leader. And the person would often, you know, just send out a, a, a meme with a quote or they might ask a question and, you know, want sort of as a survey kind of thing. And, you know, she really didn't think that they they cared. You know, she she would get responses and everything else. But, you know, she was, was concerned that, gee, maybe it's just, you know, um, the, it's become background noise and, and the people weren't really interested in it any longer. And she got very ill and she was away from her uh, customer relations management system for a while, for about two or three weeks, and she got a flood of emails from the people on our team going, are you okay? We didn't get the email on Thursday. We're really mm-hmm. concerned. What can we do? So it's, it's interesting that even though we may not recognize that it's building that relationship, when you stop, uh, it's interesting how they respond back going, oh my God, are you all right? What's wrong? Can we do something? And so you have been building that relationship. You have been developing that welcome, worthy, supported sense in the people in your team. And I thought that that was really, really, really powerful. So using your customer relations management to really keep in touch. And I, I also do like the idea of changing it up, um, you know, doing a video, maybe doing a phone call, um, that kind of thing, as well as you know, just the email addresses. So you have any other tips and tricks around this from our guests? Well, you know, the other thing, too, is uh, you can even have, say, hey, I've, <clears throat> I've been hearing, I want to know what you guys want to have in the newsletter. I'm going to be holding a, a, an hour call, I'll answer your questions, and, and then I'll see if I can write them. So you have an hour-long call, your people call in, you have an hour, maybe not all of them mm-hmm. get to ask the question, and then from those questions you write the next set of, uh, of emails that go out. Let it be interactive. Then the people feel like they're making a bid and you are receiving instead of just being on the receiving end. Allow them to make a bid. Wow. And then... Uh, it- yeah, what a great idea is to have them involved and to actually have a dialogue with them as opposed to that monologue going out and not getting any response back. And, you know, they have great ideas as well. And they're having different experiences that might be valuable to the other members of your team, right? Exactly. And now that, and that, and if you can validate those experiences, then they get that third feeling of a secure attachment, cherished and protected. Ah. And a little bit of empowerment choice. Those four feelings, if you can make your people feel worthy, welcomed, cherished and protected, and empowered choice, you're doing a great job. They will feel this person I feel good about. 
I feel secure. And so nobody buys unless they feel safe, right? Nobody right. And so, wants to work with you. So, Gary, what you're saying is that if you, in essence, make it about them um, and not all about you, that you're more likely to retain the people on your team as opposed to being in that constant panic of having to replace people because they keep dropping off your um, your yes. group. Okay. All right. Yes. So, and I do think a team, uh, you have to kind of notice that you're the if you're the business owner, uh, in a couple, you're always about the we. Most people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they forget that the third entity in a couple is the we. If you're not paying attention to the we, you're you're going to be lacking something. When I sit in the chair and there's a couple opposite me, I'm not asking what's going on just in him and her. I'm looking at the third entity. And for a business that needs support, and we all need support, that we comes in as a team. So we're always about a really a business owner who's running a secure style in their business is mm-hmm. is offering a team. That doesn't mean I'm above so to speak, but I'm a part of the team and how can I serve you as you serve me? Gary, I think that's very important, uh, especially in entrepreneurial relationships. Uh, now, I come out of the military, uh, mm-hmm. which has very, very prescribed relationships. In other words, as an officer, you generally don't fraternize with um, the enlisted. Um, and within the officer ranks, you know, if you're a lieutenant, it's doubtful that you're going to be hanging out at the bar with the general. Um, so your relationships are more prescribed and they're in, in some respects a bit more formal. And I sort of found the same thing in uh, corporate as well. If you, know, you, you didn't really, you interacted with your subordinates, but not in a close personal sort of way. So yeah. how do you help people who've been sort of indoctrinated into those kinds of relationships to step into that we that we as a team, um, as well as uh, you know the the whole welcome, worthy, um, empowered, and cherished. How how do you help them do that? Well, I think in terms of if you're looking at organizational psychology, the we and the team has to start from above. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have an organization that truly is, uh, we're the hot shots, I'm the CEO, and I'm just going to do what I want to do, and you're going to follow me. You know, mm-hmm. you will get resistance. People won't feel it, but uh, you can offer. But I think so. I think it starts at the top. If we're business owners, we have to be the general that you know. People will follow a general into a war if they think the general has their best interest at heart. Where you get less than popular results is when a Napoleon is sitting there having you attack Moscow in the middle of winter, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> or the Germans who, who attacked Russia in the middle of winter. That's right. And, yes. you know, I, what I know, I have, I'm not an expert in military history, but I do know that when I, uh, I played for, you know, basketball, if I felt the coach who had my back, I would follow, I would do anything. And if I thought he was a jerk and he, and he was just all about his own ego and how many wins he had under his belt, um, you know, I had less in some mm-hmm. So I think as leaders, we have to put a little of our, our ego in check and say, we are building a community here. Our work has to be in the midst of creating a generational influence and, and transformation. 
Uh, it's mm-hmm. about how am I serving as well as being served? If we can do that, our people will follow us and we will have well-motivated teams. And, and Gary, I think that's so very true. That I, one of my favorite visions of um, Douglas MacArthur, and I know, you know he was a challenge as a general to, uh, to manage as, as well as um, his whole personality and that kind of thing. But there was this really powerful image in a, a TV show that was done on the key players in World War II and what they were like in World War I. And they have a scene of him on the ground with his troops, and he's in the middle of his troops, directing them forward, and he's going with them and everything else. So he was definitely not a general who sat back in the headquarters and planned strategy. He was out there with his troops, and I think that's one of the things that made him such a powerful leader, at least in World War One. Um, you know, he had challenges with um, political consensus, but you know, as far as uh, leading his troops, he was uh, amazing. And so I, I think that's, I agree with you that it's get rid of the ego and be a part of the we, of the team, is, is really yeah. critical. Yeah. Uh, well, now, Gary, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you also work with neurolinguistic programming. And mm-hmm. so how does that work um, in healthy relationships? Well, neurolinguistic program, NLP, is really... Uh, the art of helping your brain uh, make the changes you want. Uh, it's about having neurons connect to other neurons so you so and make better friends than the ones that have been limiting you. So what we're really looking for is how do we... So people have what they want, and then oftentimes what they want is really scaring the part of them that got safe with not having that. For instance, if, if someone was... Ne- if they were never... Uh, Really, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, I know one person wanted to speak as she came to me years and years ago trying to get on stage and she couldn't and she needed to for her business. What we found out that was that when she was four, she looked at her mother that every time her mother saw her, she would tend to beat her. So being seen mm. equals getting beaten. At a very... So she wanted to be seen, she wanted to be recognized, but at a very early level, her brain said seen equals unsafe. So when she got on stage, she would have such fights she couldn't speak because her a primitive part of her brain was not seeing an audience of 50, but an audience of 50 muggers. Mm. We had to go back and really reassociate and really with some variety of of techniques, one of which is called re-imprinting. But you can go back, if you know how to speak to that early part of the brain, you can get it, you can add resources, you can get it to be safe with what you want. But until you do, uh, it will it will fight you tooth and nail for its original sense of safety. So NLP is really the art of giving your brain the safety it needs so you can have what you want. Fascinating. Uh, I know... I was seven when my grandmother told me that I should never stand up in front of groups of people and speak, that I wasn't very good at it. And so I understand that holding on to that. And, you know, I wasn't, I guess I was in my early 30s before I actually felt comfortable being on stage, being in front of a group of people and not being scared to death that I was going to fumble and do a horrible job and that they were going to hate me and this kind of thing. So... I understand rewiring the brain and being able to use it um, to get into healthy relationships, to do the things that you need to do for your 
your company and for your business and that kind of thing. So you're, we, we talked about mindset um, on the show um, back a, a month or so ago. So you're saying that it is also your mindset that sets you up for healthy relationships, correct? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And mindset, believe it or not, is always, is always influenced by whatever we deemed safe or not safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it really is. But our mindset is really, what sort of filters do we carry around in life? I mean, you, 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 you can see couples, I've, I've you know, what uh, man I work with and wondered why his relationship was going south. But from an early time, he had this feeling of when will love turn against me? So he was always had this filter, when will love turn against me? And he was always looking for ways to spouse. And eventually he drove her away. Uh, he came to me saying, how do I fix what's going on in my relationships? And this is what's really interesting. What we found out was he's, it came down to an incident early in life. When he was four, and his father, who was a great father, married 53 years, never did anything before or after like this, he turned and beat on him. And he couldn't understand it. And from that time, he thought, oh, my God, when will love turn against me? And he drove away two wives. How? Mm. Because he had this filter, when will love turn away? When he came to an event, his brother, who had been married 25 years, was with Barrison, with his support. And he shared that story. And I remember seeing his brother's face drop to the floor. He says, that, that's why you're twice divorced? He says, you got it all wrong. I was nine, you were four. You got too close to the campfire. We were camping and your pants caught on fire. Dad didn't turn against you. He beat the flames out of your pants. But his brain made a painful limiting decision that then became a filter to look out for the safety. When will love turn against me? And that became a mindset and it became a way. And eventually both of his wives says, I can't handle the mistrust. Mm-hmm. So, so if you, it's not just mindset; it's what's underneath the mindset. So it's those it's it's that subconscious, unconscious portion of the brain that is, in essence, ruling your relationships. And when we come back from break, we will go further into this. So stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Let leadership expert Linda Patton be your guide to uncovering the leader that lives within you and that you are meant to be. Through her signature training programs and workshops, Linda takes you every step of the way to help you tap into your personal leadership power, design a clear vision, build a loyal, effective team, and create a practical plan to make your dream come true. Get started now by scheduling a free, no-obligation, 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at DareToDreamWithLinda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, DreamWithLinda.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Voice America Women. 
Your passion starts here. You are listening to Leadership Stars with Linda Patton. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. You may also send an email to Linda at daretodreamwithlinda.com. Now, back to Leadership Stars. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm here with my guest, Gary Saylor, um, and we're talking about relationships, healthy relationships, both uh, as, a, as a single and as couples, and now we've gotten into how to develop those kinds of relationships with your team to create that we. And as we went on break, I'm sure you were thinking about, gee, was there a time in my life when you know something happened and it's colored the rest of my life? And then I hear from... Uh, you know, family, family member or somebody else who was there, that it was an entirely different picture than what my mind picked up. And I I think that's so very, very important. Um, one of the things I've learned long ago about the unconscious is that every time you pull it up, it's like a fish story. It gets bigger, it, gets, it changes, whatever. And that if you have brothers and sisters and you say, gee, do you remember the time that mom and dad did blah? And they go, no, 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 it wasn't like that. It was really like this, that we all perceive um, some of those situations that are really um, driving our rela- our other relations, our, our current relationships, um, were can be very different depending upon who so- who saw them and what was going on. Have you worked with siblings around um, situations like that where um, you know one one person thinks he was being hit and the other one goes no 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 he was beating out flames and that kind of thing that has really made some changes. Well. I tell that story because I think it's the best story I've ever had for something that people kind of miss. People mm-hmm. will tend to say, oh, life is this way. People are this way. You know, uh, men or women are, this, are such and such. The brain creates experience. It's not the same as life. It's mm-hmm. not the same as love, real love. It's not the same as men. It's not the same as women. Our brains are experience-creating uh, machines. And that experience is influenced by a lot of things, and the brain has some bugs. And if we're not careful, we can be trapped in a painful experience. And the worst part of it is when we adopt that, and then we make an identity out of an experience that can be adjusted to something mm-hmm. more positive. The real, the real key to life is to, to notice and observe the experience you're having and then to say, is this experience serving me? Because experience is inner. It's not outer. And in the moment mm-hmm. people realize that their complaint about life is an experience that's generated inside their brain, they just found the doorway to their real life and what they really want. So, Gary, you're saying that you know our thoughts, um, most of which are subconscious, um, rule our feelings and our feelings rule our actions, so that's the whole fight, flight, appease, and then it's those actions that create results. And so individuals, for the most part, say, well, if I change how I, how I do this, in other words, the action, I can change the result. And so they do something different, and they finally get the same result. So you're saying that you have to change those thoughts. You have to change that memory. You have to um, flip it on its end so that it... It supports you um, so that the feelings support the actions, support the results that you want. Yes? Yes. 
Yes. Uh, and a lot of changing the experience is changing the story we tell about mm-hmm. love or the story we tell about success, right? Right. Um, and one of the things attention theory notes is that there is such a thing called a secure story and mm-hmm. that the anxious and the avoidance tell stories that eventually disempower them or create more of the same experience. Uh, we also know that uh, those stories can, will get... You can tell the attachment of somebody's child by listening to the story of the parent with 85% accuracy. We tend to pass down our experience the stories we tell. Mm-hmm. You know, for a secure story, is it's something like, you know, I had a borderline mother. Uh, not everything went so well when I was a child. We'll just put it that way. And mm-hmm. I could say, oh, my God, my mother was, you know, and I, I had all these horrible things, and, and it just so crippled me. Or I could say, you know, it was really interesting. I had this borderline mother, uh, and there were some real painful things, like the day she kicked me out of my house uh, because I wanted to go to college and I lived my senior year. Uh, but I learned a lot of lessons from there. And yeah, there's a few things I can still work on, but I have grown so much, and it really did force me to learn some big lessons. And it's made me more empathetic towards people's pain. So, yeah, there's a few things back there I could still be working on, but generally speaking, uh, I've, I've understood it, and uh, my experience doesn't run me. I'm in control of that, and I'm, and I'm actually kind of glad I went through it because I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. That's very different than a victim story. Right. Or the story of somebody that says, you know, I'm never going to trust again, and they wind up being more of a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Gary, you have a free gift to offer to the audience. Could you tell us a little bit about it, please? Yeah. Um, if you go to my website, it's www.garysalyer.com, S-A-L-Y-E-R. On the right side, I'm actually giving away Chapter 1 of the book that I'm writing, Safe to Love Again. Uh, it's almost complete, Linda. Uh, I've just right. got about six more weeks of writing. Uh, and, and then if... And there's also on the tab above, there's something, Attract Your Dream Man. And there's a 24-page blueprint uh, on how to attract your dream man. If you're uh, a, a man and you want to, you could just kind of read it. I wrote it for women, but it would have the same principles. So there's two free gifts there. And both of them, all you do is just give the email and you can get some really cool tips on what it takes to do the deep internal work not just the coaching or flirty and fashion or, or things like that, but the deep internal work that allows your system to be safe with love so you can attract someone who will wonderfully love you back. That's what I can offer those two things. That's great, Gary. Uh, I have a question for you. So what would the sure. world be like if everyone had healthy relationships, not only with themselves, but with their significant other, and also with their teams. What would that world look like? Well, I personally think, and the more and more I look at the world, I see attachment everywhere. When, when people feel a disconnect with a government or corporate America, what they're really objecting to is that sense they don't, they don't feel they're in a secure relationship where someone gets their needs, where someone cherishes them for who they are. The, so... When, the more that all of us develop secure relationships within ourselves with a significant other 
and within our businesses, our teams, the more we tend to offer to, to other people. And I think there would be a ripple effect. We would have a better society. And I don't say that glibly. I, I do mean to say that all of us are 100% of the time a part of our brain, a mammal brain that's looking for bonds, is always looking, checking out, am I safely bonded no matter what situation? So the more that all of us can offer that, the better we'll feel. And I think there is just so much unlimited resources that, uh, and potential we, we would be able to offer the world by allowing them to all untap their, their inner resources rather than fighting the anxiety. And we, you know, so that's what I see. I think the way that the humanity really evolves is by, by offering each other uh, the security. So our, uh, of being felt and being worthy and cherished, that frees our mental energy to do things that, and to create a society that truly is great. I mean, that may be idealistic, but I, I know that uh, when I'm at my best, I am feeling safe and secure and protected. Mm -hmm. And so in order to have a safe and secure world, the relationships that we have with the people within it are critical. And so looking at, you know, across nations, across religions, across genders, across uh, races, having that sense of being secure um, and supported and, as you said, welcome and um, cherished and all that and worthy would go a long way to creating a, a safer, more peaceful, more cohesive world than what we have right now, yes? Oh, uh, you know, in that world, if you are really welcoming each other, in spite of the differences, in spite of the varieties that is just endemic to the human situation. If you're making, and if you're trying to acknowledge the worthiness for all, everybody to have their needs, and you are cherishing, protecting, and empowering with choice, where is there a possibility of oppression? Where is there a possibility of a government or a corporation going rogue? Or any, any of the arts being insensitive? Uh, you know, uh, I am, sometimes impressed when I've read about uh, CEOs that when they were going through uh, economic downturn took a cut themselves to keep uh, so they didn't have to cut all of the uh, the jobs and their business and because they were in it with their, their employees and their employees would come back and then just really support them in ways and, and do things above and beyond to keep the company afloat. Uh, this is the sort of, that's what human beings are geared for. We're geared to be mutually supportive. We do not do well as a species when we're doing the Lone Ranger thing. We need a community to grow and prosper and to be uh, our best selves. There's, it takes a, a village to have a great life. Uh, and we need that secure village. And I think that's so true. Uh, and Gary, I have a real quick story. I, when... I was pregnant with my first child. Um, the company that I was working with was having a downturn, and I was told I needed to cut three people in my department. And I said, you know, that's about equal to my salary, and I'm going to be gone f till the first of the year. I'm going to leave. How about if I cut me? And, you know, we hire me back when I've got budget for the following year. And they thought that that was such a creative idea that, in essence, I actually also worked during that time. We rewrote every um, program that we had 
in the department. It was a training department, and we rewrote every one of them, and I reviewed them and, and made comments and all that, even though I, quote, wasn't working. And we had the most powerful set of training programs following that because everyone loved the fact that, you know, I didn't cut people when I didn't have to and when I could actually use my salary to um, keep the unit afloat. So I, I think you're right. I think it's that sense of inclusion and that sense of feeling secure that, gee, they're not going to cut me just because, uh, you know, they, they need more money in the department. Um, and I, I think that's really key to people feeling um, secure. So, Gary, I'm going to ask you for one last tip around healthy relationships and especially those around healthy relationships in your team, in your business? Well, you know, the basic line that uh, I come down to, if I had to take anything from all of the things I've taught or written, this one line I learned from, I was interviewing a woman who was married 55 years. And uh, I said, what's the secret to your marriage? And she goes, I take no BS, I give no BS. And I really thought about it, and that's the mantra that I live with most. Whenever I'm with a, uh, whether I'm part of a team or I'm the leader of a team or I'm in a relationship with anybody, I try to think, how do I only give the good stuff no matter what's appropriate? That might be just thanking somebody at Starbucks. Thank you for, uh, you know, making my, my coffee right. Um, or, but it's making sure that we're not giving those feelings. We only give the feelings of welcomed, worthy, cherished, and empowered. And if I give any other feeling, I'm giving BS. And I monitor my behavior. So I think in all of my relationships, I look at those four feelings and I say, how can I give them? And how can I monitor myself? If I give anything less, then how can I go back and make a repair if possible? That's the thing. Always think about how am I making that other person feel? If we can make them feel secure in that moment, and according to whatever level of our relationship is, it's different for a spouse than someone at Starbucks, obviously, we're doing our job in the universe. And I think the universe will mirror us back with a secure life. That's great. And Gary, I, there's a commercial that's that's like that. That it's that sort of pay it forward. You know, somebody holds a door for somebody, and that causes them to do. And it, it becomes a cumulative act, and and it impacts so many people. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, not taking any BS and not giving any BS, but really looking at those four aspects of being welcome, being worthy of your needs being met, empowering in choice, and feeling cherished, and uh, protected. I think if we move in that direction, we can build extremely powerful teams with deep and lasting relationships. And on that note, I'm going to say thank you, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for tuning in to Leadership Stars. Please join Linda Patton for another engaging edition of our program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll feature another noted leader next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Women's Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericawomen.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.